Hey everyone, welcome to What the Meta, a podcast in which I, Spencer Bing, sit down with esports industry professionals and talk with them about the work they're doing and how they got there. The aim of this podcast is to provide you with insight about getting involved in maintaining a career in the esports industry. First of all, thank you for coming on the podcast today. This is the What the Meta podcast number four. I'm here with Teresa Gaffney, former CSL editor-in-chief, former Harrisburg University social media master supreme, uh, currently the head coach and esports coordinator at Messiah College, um, yep. and then you also do a little bit of writing and editing still, which is cool to see. I saw some of your um, work with Slash Shout. So, uh, yeah. She's also a lover of metal and memes and all other <laughs> nice things. Um, but yeah, did I just about cover that? I kind of like that. That was really good. That was probably one of the better intros I've gotten. Thank you. I appreciate that, Spencer. Makes me feel like I've done things in my life. <laughs> you have. You have. You absolutely have. Um, no, it's really great to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Um, if esports for you like what was like what interested you in esports and what was maybe a moment where you felt like this is something I want to do or industry I want to work in or be part of mm -hmm. yeah so just I guess a little background on how I or I guess just generally like my history in esports um, I started working for the CSL in I think it was like January 2011 so this is peak StarCraft to interest phase. So all of us were like, how can we do something to support StarCraft 2 and esports and yada, yada, yada. There was a lot of passion and people just kind of like were finding their niche and I did too. And I was in school to, um, you know, get my credentials to be a, uh, a history teacher, social studies teacher in New York. And I figured, you know, there's got to be a way to like put my writing research skills with like esports. I want to write. I just don't know what the angle is. I was working for a, kind of like one of those geek news websites, you know, on and off beforehand. And I knew that I was okay with it, but I wanted to like push it in the esports direction. So I saw on Reddit that um, CSL was looking for writers at the time. And I said, you know what? I've not done play by play writing style, you know, in the niche, you know, for um starcraft so i said let's just try it you know like i'll read i read a lot of team liquid as it is i'm sure i can kind of take this style and put it into collegiate so you know we gave it a go i i started writing match replays recaps and then i started to kind of do a little bit more um you know top down coverage uh where it was more like what's happening in this region and then it became more like hey, we need an editor. Can you please help us next year? And I was like, sure, okay. Um, so it kind of went from there. Uh, there was a little brief period of time I wasn't able to contribute as much because I was actually student teaching, but I came right back into it and I started doing StarCraft and League of Legends when uh, CSL started doing their League of Legends uh, tournament. So it kind of grew from there. So it was from 2011 to 2018, I worked there. I eventually became editor-in-chief uh you know and i kind of like i don't know i oversee i oversaw social media too at some point so really any content that was coming out video social uh written i had a little bit of uh, influence on so it was a lot of fun and that was the majority of my esports experience until i 
moved over to Harrisburg where they were looking for a social media manager and, you know, just general person of trade. So I kind of leaped in there, worked with them for about six months because they had a lot of, you know, things happening in their program, a lot of moving parts. So I went freelance 2019 and now I am at the uh, Messiah College campus doing esports coaching for the entirety of their program. So that's, that's it. That's pretty much the trajectory. I started as a volunteer and then eventually along the way, the CSL started to pay. And then from there, I only took paying gigs. So here we are now. Here we are now. And what, what an adventure. What was that like? Uh, I guess taking the gigs that were unpaid at the beginning, because there's, there's still, there's many of those that still exist. And I think there's value to those, especially for people who want to gain experience. Um, yeah. You, did you uh, find that you were able to kind of expand? Um, you talked a little bit about it, about expanding your own um, skills and seeing, kind of pushing yourself into like new forms of writing. Yeah, uh, I think to answer the first question about just volunteerism, um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately too, because when you freelance, it feels like you're getting back to that kind of like baseline level where it might as well be volunteering because you have to determine what your time is worth. And sometimes you feel like if you don't do that calculation right, you're you know almost volunteering for the people you're working for because you're giving them more than they're paying. But you know, when you first start out anywhere, whether it's, you know, to be a, uh, you know, web design, you know, uh, I don't know, what are we going to call them these days? We just call them uh, programmers. Uh, you want to be a programmer, you have to start building a portfolio and not everybody is going to pay the first time programmer to build something for them. So they do it pro bono for a friend or something in the neighborhood and your your brother wants to do something for his band, you build them a website, right? So uh, that's kind of the, still the same thing in esports. There are just realities to it. If you have no experience, yeah, you have some value, but you have no experience, you might have to take a few, you know, unpaid gigs at first to start a portfolio. And I still think, like you said, it's very worthwhile um, because you get to cut your teeth. And it is getting harder to find worthwhile um pro bono slash freelance gigs in esports like it was a lot easier to find some quality ones in 2011 um maybe that's uh, hindsight looking at how things turned out a lot of people that i know who are doing these kind of volunteer positions uh, ended up at decent places or at least got decent experiences uh, i'm not sure what the scene looks like as much these days but i do see a lot of people asking for free work that you know that they're just like a content creator and you know they're looking to like take advantage of someone for you know their stream overlays or something so you know they're not necessarily going to invest in the person that they're having so i would say for someone that's going into the industry and wanting to build their portfolio just vet the places that you're kind of giving your free time to and yeah there's there is a role for like helping out a streamer uh, and making his stream overlay but make sure that you know, you get your credit when you do it and you don't do so many that you block out your time to look for the more valuable um, uh, pro bono gigs until you can get an actual paid gig. So make a goal, May, say like six months, I'm only going to do, you know, freelancing uh, on a volunteer basis for like six months. And then the next six months, I'm going to try to start getting paid gigs and I'm going to start phasing out the other ones. So that's the way I would approach it so far. You know, that's the way I see it in the modern age. You know, in the old old days, I guess you had to work a little longer as a volunteer before you saw something. But that's because the industry was 
just making you know its footing yeah i agree with you i think there's a lot of uh a lot of merit to uh to working pro bono but it's a it can be a, a dangerous line especially as a freelancer i, I find this myself because I, I work freelance uh as well for the agency that i work for hurrah um mm -hmm. and just balancing and keeping track of the time that I'm actually putting into it because I'm only paid for, you know, X number of hours. And so if, if the job takes twice as long or, you know, just a, a portion longer, you know, it's time that you're not getting back time that you could be finding other or additional freelance work or, um, up level upping your, uh, your skills or something. There's, mm -hmm. there's just a lot of things you, you'd rather be doing with your free time than giving it away, f uh, for free. Uh, to somebody who's profiting off of it. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, you keep good track of organizing your thoughts or your schedule. Um, your current role right now, like, can you tell me a little bit about what that entails? And um, and then I guess after that, maybe a little bit uh, how you manage that schedule. Yeah, so, I mean, scheduling, especially when you freelance, is so valuable, um, a skill that it's like, Basically, you can't you can't do it without scheduling um, skills. So at Messiah College as a coach, I it's a part time gig, but obviously, like uh, my background being what it is, I'm used to doing more than you know what I'm allotted to do. So I'm there a lot, but part time means that yes, this is my main part time gig. I prioritize it above all others, but you know there are windows that I make myself available and windows that I have to do other things. Um, so the other things being my studies, cause I'm also studying to be a mental health counselor, which is kind of related to coaching, but you know, a little bit more, um, not a different tangent, but, um, I also have to make time for my writing and editing gigs on the side too. So yeah, at Messiah, I will organize scrims. I, I put the teams together. I make sure that the, the space is being used properly. I go to meetings with the president or the marketing department just to explain what esports is better so that they can convey it to their constituents. Um, a great majority of my time is more so answering administrative stuff and, and doing meetings like that. But my interactions with the team are to me the most valuable. I'm on Discord all day. So even if I'm not physically at the space with them, you know, they have a, a trust policy to take care of it. You know, we're talking to each other all day. So I would say that I'm spending at least 30 hours a week minimum on the team stuff. Um, and then I am probably working more like 60 to 70 in total with other projects. And then obviously, you know, there are days where, you know, you have to just do something and get it done. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just make sure to not max out 60 as much as possible because that's not humanly possible for me to be a functional human being doing more than 60 hours of work a week, unless it's like an event week for some reason. Yeah, that makes a little sense. I, after a certain, probably, yeah, just probably just lower than that actually for me. Like I, I start feeling less effective in all the, the like my standard uh, work, my standard of work just goes down tremendously once I hit, I don't know, mid fifties of, I just yeah. feel drained and I'm probably yeah. not sleeping as well. and. Oh yeah. And 60 is like the high, you know, it's not like I'm doing 60 a week all the time, but mm. yeah, honestly, that's a bad number. If you're doing 60 hours a week and you aren't getting good pay out of it in the end, then you are obviously doing something that needs adjustment, right? I won't, I won't say that you're doing something wrong, but you probably need to either renegotiate what you're doing 
in order to lower the number of hours or just accept that this is a freak week and then, you know, it won't be 60 all the time. It's going to be like once a month. You have to do that because you're traveling or you're setting an event up or you have, you know, uh, tests due at the same time as something else, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of time when you are freelancing, you have to know your schedule, know your max. So let's say, you know, 60 is a high average. I'm not actually doing that. It's more like 50 a week, but 60 for event weeks. And then every other week you want to say, hey, this is a week I'm only going to work for 30 hours because I need to have my sanity back. That's that's one good thing about freelance that like if you're able to do your work in advance, if you know that you have a workload and what your workload looks like, then you can get it done. You know, set yourself out some some sanity time. That's so, so important um, for yeah. For you, what what do you do to, to kind of like tap into that sanity time? Like, I, I, I think of like music, you're, from what I know, like you're big into going to live shows. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say that's a big part of my sanity time, a.k.a. self-care time, uh, is to do music. Uh, I don't perform as much as I'd like, so I definitely go to shows a lot. Um, and I have a lot of people in my life that are musicians that are, you know, friends and family. So I'm lucky that's already built in for me that I'm always like, oh, so-and-so is having a show. Let's go. Or my favorite band's in town or in the region. So let's like get a crew to go out or I go visit my friends back in New York and, you know, we find something to do uh, music related. Um, so yeah, that's a big part of it. It's just because I know I can sit there and enjoy myself and be in the moment. And I think that's the big part of um, taking care of yourself and staying sane is like just finding a time to be in the moment with something that's like a core interest of yours. That's so important. Um, I have a few of these myself, so I can totally relate. I'm a, I play Gaelic football, the Irish, the old Irish sport. And, that's uh, right. and, uh, yeah, pretty much just all my extra time, I guess not all my extra time, but it feels like that sometimes during the summer goes to that. Um, just a couple times a week playing and, uh, it's a nice, it's a nice way to balance your, um, yeah, your mental, just to get a, get away and get a little bit of a sweat, whether it's dancing at a concert or uh, running around on the field. Love it. Yeah, it keeps you mentally and physically in shape. That's why it's so important for you, I can tell. Mm, definitely. Now, something you, you mentioned, you talked about your, um, your Discord channel and how you're constantly in communication or, um, at the very least, the players in your... Um, the people you work with, they know that they can contact you and you're accessible and always willing to have conversations. Now that seems to me, that's like super important. Like communication is, should be like number one, especially in a coach and um, player environment. Um, is there anything um, specific? I mean, you're study you're studying mental health. So it seems to me like you have a very clear perspective on this, um, how important this is. Do you think like in esports in general, that this is something that, requires growth still or that is something that esports in particular is doing well or um are they doing mental health care well in in, in esports yeah mental health care and <laughs> and not just mental health care but I, i'd say like communication on t in addition yeah. to that because i think there's a the two are together in a lot of ways true true um well yeah i think uh the last decade the big thing was just awareness about wealth mental health so as a whole, at least in America, the, the awareness of the fact that we need to take care of ourselves, not just physically, but also mentally and treat it like, you know, as, as much as we do with our 
bodily uh, concerns, it's a big deal that we have that on the table. That being said, in esports, esports being an industry that in North America has like only been really picking up in the last 10 years, it's still maturing within the scene. Uh, so I would say that um, it's getting better. Uh, I don't think it's at a point where we are satisfied with our communication skills across the board. Um, but I would say that it's hopeful that because of the fact that now our culture is a little bit more mental health and, and communication, positive communication or just healthy communication is um, starting to be more valued, that it's it's trickling down into esports. Uh, esports has its own concerns like you said bringing up discord and being available all the time that's not that, those are boundary deleting sort of apps and like ways to communicate in esports that um doesn't exist in like your daily regular life like once you leave the office unless you are checking your email all day or getting calls from your boss you know they're not on discord pinging you for a typical office job so in esports a lot of us feel like always on quote-unquote um, so I think that's a thing we're still working on for staying sane in terms of the professionalism side uh, of esports, like learning how to say, hey, I'm not available from X time to X time because I have to, you know, do real life stuff. That's OK. You're OK to say I'm not available to take anything from this time to this time because you need to do your life. Um, we're still working on that on the pro side, um, working behind the scenes, but you know, I know players also struggle struggle with that too because you know they're getting pings from their uh, teammates. They're you know getting asked to do a lot of stuff that isn't you know involving just practicing for the game. So it's like what we're working on is boundaries. I think a lot in esports is is healthy boundaries for staying sane in what can be a really really busy and like overly like overly enmeshed sort of. Um, landscape i don't know how else to even put it it's like very enmeshed everybody's all on top of each other we're trying to make things happen and a lot of people wear many hats and and they want to help but sometimes it's a little too much so we're just we're working on it still i think we're all we're getting there yeah it definitely seems to be uh like everybody's working towards that or the most everybody is working towards that and working on improving that and um it seems definitely in the last two or three years um more focus on what is acceptable for players and boundaries and just creating a healthier, um, this is what I'm working in, this is when I need my free time kind of thing. Like you've seen less and less okay. uh, pro teams with like player housing where like they're playing and working in the same space and by working I mean competing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, that's just one example of, of many. Um, How do you feel about that separation of work and, and personal life there because player houses yeah they come with their own bag of worms you know yeah so i think uh as far as player houses specifically i think that um uh, i i like that it's it's kind of moving away from that i i like the idea of uh i liked the idea of them uh for a time but the more i the more i thought about it and the more i kind of when I was in LA, I got a chance to go into into some player houses. We worked. I worked with pro guides, and we were interviewing some of the players, and um, got a, an inside look at some of them. Got to go to like some of their house parties. That was like several where several teams would come over, and they'd like I don't know, just all have a good time. But so you see like some of the positive experiences. You see some of the negative ones, um, and a lot of that is like you see the positive and negative communication as well. 
Um, there, there were times where there was like really high tension and we'd be like in there filming like behind the scenes kind of things. And, you know, some players just wouldn't want to, they'd be so frustrated and be told like, Hey, you have to do this or you have to do this, but this is in their own home, right? Or what is their own home? And they're being told what they need to do, um, at a professional level. And that's, that's really, it's tough. Even myself as like a, a freelancer, I find it difficult to, to keep a balance between um, only working uh, the set amount because I'm used to I'm used to going over the over and above, um, not necessarily being a freelancer just yet. Um, because at my previous work, it was just like we did the work and we continued to do the work and we were almost never shut off. Like you said, you're just always mm -hmm. on. Um, and I think that me working in my own personal space it's very difficult to balance like, Hey, Spencer, you need to go outside or Spencer, you need to just go, go get some fresh air, go get some groceries. It's like do something to, to mix it up because yeah. it becomes even, even just here by myself in my own apartment, I don't share a place with anybody. I'm lucky uh, in that sense. But at the same time, I do miss that. I miss the engagements. I miss, uh, you know, having um, normal contact with people who are, you know, like roommates or whatever, but at the same time, it's also kind of nice. So it's a, it's a delicate balance between, um, I think team houses can be done in a way which were, um, which are acceptable and can be helpful, but I also don't think that it's the best way forward. Um, I think that p people realize that, especially you see the, the top teams move away from that and move into like official office space. They understand more about the development of young minds and also um, how important it is to create a, a level of professionalism that's beyond like, hey, we're we're rising out of our, you know, our bedrooms to to now actually having you know offices and training facilities and providing the support staff to, to these players. And we've seen um, with some of the top teams, like for instance, uh, Astralis. They they're one of the first teams that I, I can remember that really put a lot of effort into finding a good sports psychologist. And having them involved with the team on a very regular basis, and if you look at their results, the the CS:GO team, like they are mm -hmm. th the number one in the world, and they have been for the last two two years or so, um, maybe yeah. longer. And I mean, that's not just because they are great players. That also has to do with the with it's it's tough to keep pro players, pro athletes of any sport, uh, to work together for that long without having problems and um, not just without having problems, but being able to work through problems. It almost seems like there's always, especially when it only comes down to five or six players um, in a team, it seems like the, it becomes more difficult to keep everybody happy for, for much longer than a couple mm -hmm. years. We see a lot of player roster changes and whatnot, but what they've done, I think, a I think it's, uh, it says a lot for the work that has been done um, as far as their um, mental awareness and their communication planning. And I think that they are in a great place because of all that, that prep work, that framework that they put in, um, you know, when they're just getting started, I think. Um, and yeah, so I guess, does that kind of answer what, what Oh, you... yeah, yeah. I was just curious because, you know, you see a lot of changes on, on that side, you know, for, with what you do. And just curious to see if it's a healthy trajectory. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think that that is the case. And uh, as someone who's like passionate about communication, um, I think it's the best way forward for young people because um, the biggest problem with 
you know, the team houses, not necessarily just team houses, but young athletes moving away from home and being thrown into the professional scene is like one of the most valuable experiences at university or at college um, is just socializing and learning how to live on your own and learning responsibility and learning communication between people, uh, learning boundaries, learning um, Mm -hmm. these kind of things that I, you know, took for granted probably when I was 18, 19. (laughs) And then, and then when I, you know, got in my mid twenties, I'm like, wow, I really like, I grew during this period of time, not because of me, not because of something I planned, but because of these experiences that I was thrown into. Whereas like Mm -hmm. if you're stuck in a gaming house with people for 15 hours a day, you're not getting those experiences. You're not getting that sort of bound. You're not learning about the boundaries, like what's acceptable and how to engage with people in a way which is, which, you know, you can get your message across because you can't just tell somebody, Hey, uh, you know, I don't like you doing this. Uh, stop. You, you need to engage and say, you know, like, Hey, can I like understand why this is happening? And for me, this is, this is what's happening. Uh, when I see you do this to, I feel this way or something, you know, like being able to communicate simple things, uh, back and forth, but being open to that is, it takes, it takes a little while. And, uh, and I think that these, these sort of spaces, the, the separate gaming spaces, the, the professional offices that some of the top teams are, um, uh, you know, creating these facilities. I think it offers um, many more opportunities to have that kind of positive communication moving forward. Yeah, no, and I, and it's, I know that the team houses in, in the West are definitely just because, you know, it's been established elsewhere. We know that in Korea, team houses were a big thing for a long time, um, you know, just to keep people focused. And, you know, that, that streamlined focus is why Korean teams were so, dominant you know and that's why not do what already works and i know that you know teams in the west wanted to do the same thing so they tried it and i am curious just to follow to see where it goes from here because there are people that still do team houses there are people that do you know practice spaces with facilities nearby you know what's going to work in the long run i guess we won't know until you know we have enough uh sample size to study against i guess yeah i think it's it's a constant um it's a constant shift, and we're we're at a very interesting point within esports, like as as a whole. I think because of all the investment money that comes in, and most of the companies that that are investing, they're looking to invest in like technology. We've seen that mm-hmm. like a lot of the and the technology that it's they're looking to invest in is very basic, like framework technology. Like how can we instead of just investing in a team that you know maybe their investment is uh, the level of success with their investment is based on whether or not a team wins or loses. That's not really a healthy way to invest for someone who's looking for gains on their money, really. So they're looking for ways to enable teams to succeed. Like, you know, how can we ensure that these teams can pay all their players on time every month, you know, have this automated system set up? How can we help teams monetize their audience, their fan base? Um, How can we, you know, get their, help them send their messages or create their content in uh, an efficient way, stay in stay in touch with their content creators and make sure that all this stuff is, you know, executed finances, et cetera. Like all that stuff comes into play. And, um, I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting space to be in right now. And there's a lot of growth potential. And, um, I mean, there always really has been, and I think it'll continue that way, but I think Mm -hmm. kind of wrapping it back to where, what we were talking about, I think that 
overall, um, across the board, uh, companies are understanding the value in better communication and better mental health awareness, also taking care of uh, the players themselves in a, in a more safe, like a, not just safe, but like a healthy environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see that, you know, just, you know, where I am right now uh, in my experience with a couple of collegiate teams that mental health is so important for the collegiate level. Um, and it would be the same for the pro level um, because you have a lot happening, uh, whether it's classes or commitments as a player to represent your team, uh, while also balancing the fact that, you know, you have parents or siblings or other people you need to keep in touch with. So it's just a matter of, you know, learning how on a daily basis to, to, you know, make a schedule uh, and stick to it and not, you know, constantly be so porous about, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll just do whatever comes up. Uh, because it's just not possible. You just get burnt out. So I, I definitely see, you know, skill building in college teams being really important and something that, you know, I hope pro teams are doing as well. Is, is It's kind of like a built-in thing you have to learn in college. You have to do your classes. You have to get a GPA of three or above to still be on your varsity team um, and also be able to compete and make those times. So I think that we see this, um, like – like you were even saying that you didn't even see yourself change uh, when you were 18 or something, not until you got older. It's these like fundamental processes of going through college and going through your job and going through everything else, your first job, I should say, and learning these skills. But, you know, sometimes you just have to teach it almost like a uh, intellectual topic to people uh, in advance. So there's, Hey, you may not have gotten your first job yet, but you're on a varsity team. So we're going to teach you time management now. So yeah, maybe you would have learned it naturally at 22, but we're going to teach you now at 18. So that's a kind of a good thing about esports. It's there's a built-in like need to professionalize, you know, yourself if you're a player earlier on and learn these skills. And it makes you that's something you can kind of like market yourself in the quote-unquote real world after you're done. If you think you go on transition into you know, different work when you're done with school or something or playing. So I don't know. I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And like you said, this is changing and boundaries, uh, healthy boundaries are being made and companies coming in with a little bit more money helps that, Um, you know, whether it's on the collegiate side where you get investments and you can have a team space instead of having to cram yourself into a dorm to practice like, you know, teams would back in the old days. (laughs) Or now you have, you know, dedicated team practice spaces for teams and they don't necessarily all have to live in the same house. So um, I think it's a great trajectory, but you know, I guess we just have to wait it, the way the the industry works. It's changing every year. So we'll see what 2021 brings, but for 2020, I do actually see a lot of hope for improvements on that mental health communication side. Excellent. I agree with you. I think I think we'll see a lot, um, a lot of positive uh, changes. Not that even necessarily changes, but continue, kind of just a continuation of the development of better um, frameworks for these young people, these young players, or people who yeah. are interested in becoming, you know, uh, part of the industry as well as a whole. Um, I'm curious a little bit about uh, the life of a college athlete, uh, esports athlete. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what you saw at um, what you experienced at Harrisburg University, and then maybe kind of some things that uh, 
if an, if an incoming player, because you're starting, I think, in the spring, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we play our first C-Law match this week. <laughs> nice, good luck. Technically our debut. Very good, good luck with that. Um, Thank you. Now, our off, off topic, but uh, is that going to be streamed at all? Uh, no, I don't think our opening week is going to be streamed, uh, but it's going to eventually, you know, be put up somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Very good. We're going to tape it, we'll see, you know, record it, VOD it, we'll see what happens yeah um we're definitely we're definitely good to go though so we're ready that's exciting can you tell me a little bit about uh what an incoming player or maybe a hopeful college esports athlete what can they expect like what does their life look like when they come to campus you know say they try it out they made the team or they're getting offers and they're they're just curious and this is this is a very unique situation like it's not there's not a lot of uh people who have been in this uh, position yet or that have spoken about such a thing. So I'm curious from your perspective and from your work, what can you tell us about, yeah, just young people who are esports athletes at college? Like what can their, what does their life look like kind of? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's still something that even though like almost 200 across North America have some form of an esports uh, program it's still like a very small percentage so there aren't too many people out there able to to speak on it and I mean from my perspective as a professional and uh observer of these players it's 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 a packed life it's a very you know it's a dedicated experience so if you are a player going to Harrisburg University full ride scholarship and you know housing and team play space and everything they have the work set out for them they have a trainer they have a you know a personal trainer (laughs) that works with them to be physically fit too you are committing to a lifestyle as well as studies so you know that going in that your time in in the semester is fully dedicated to school and esports so you're probably going to have some time for free time and and have fun but not that much so but you're doing that willingly because you're it's almost like you're taking a a job while going to school so that at the top tier level where you're getting a full ride and you are dedicated to you have to commit to like i don't know let's say like 10 hours a week of of practice and scrims along with uh service along with personal training along with other things um you you basically have a full-time job so you have to approach it as such so say you are applying for these schools you have to say, oh, no, I'm not just going to school. I'm applying for a job while going to school. So you have to kind of take it that way because you're going to be playing in tournaments. Um, you're gonna meet, Maybe your fall will be a little lighter because there's a lot of preseason activity. But by spring, you're on deck. You're going to have to be ready because fall is your prep and spring is your, your competition. So, yeah, you, you look at it like a full-time job when you're applying for schools with these sports programs that are – sizable right i mean even if you're applying for a school that doesn't give much of a stipend um you should still take it seriously because you're going to be representing your school and like if you're going to play in any um varsity sport you know d3 is not necessarily going to cover yours you with scholarship but you still want to play because you love soccer or something but you want to do it for the fact that it's good on your resume too you know people love the fact that you are involved with the varsity sport and they will eventually see oh you're part of a varsity esport that means that you cared enough to spend your extra time to represent your school and do exceptional at something and here are your accolades as a result so you should still 
take it seriously but just know if you're going to like a harrisburg university it's like a full-time job you know yeah it takes a lot of commitment it takes a lot of commitment yeah yeah and at like messiah it's it's a we barely even like soft launched at this point it's like this year just building the program and learning what is necessary and next year is going to be more of like a a full-scale thing um because we recruited just from students on campus for this uh season so we have a very you know mixed level of skill but we have a lot of eager students willing to build this program with me and with others on the campus. So it's really exciting, but you know, it's just a different, it's a different sort of feel. Um, they do have a dedicated practice space and they do have other things they have access to, but it's, you know, not to the level of, of a Harrisburg, but that's because they're an exception, you know, to the rule in many ways, but I'm sure that they won't be forever. There's going to be other schools like that more and more. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, for, for you mentioned kind of briefly that you said players, you know, you've got a kind of a mixed set of skills when it comes to gaming, but there's um, other opportunities to be involved and they want to see the esports program grow. Now, if, if say I wasn't um, interested in competing or maybe, you know, my level was lower, but I wanted to be involved in the program, uh, I've seen some schools offer, um, I don't know, like broadcasting as part of the esports program or just tying in more roles or getting students involved more often than just the, the playing side of things. Um, yeah. I, I know you're in the very early stage, like you said, um, and you're doing a lot of this very framework. Uh, this year is pretty much just like a framework year for the growth of the program in the future. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think it's important to include um, non-gaming or not competitive uh, players who are also obviously interested in gaming um, within the program or um, is there a place for them in the program or not necessarily, you know, sponsor wise or not, um, scholarship wise rather, but a place for them to contribute or build skills uh, outside of the competitive side? Yeah. Um, and I would say across the board, yeah, of course, there, there definitely is a value to those who are not competitive players in a program like the one I'm starting to build, that's because if I said no, then I would have been excluded from anything in the past, you know, decade. Mm -hmm. I would not have gotten any job because I'm not a competitive pro gamer uh, or former pro gamer. I've played for, you know, quite some time. I've gotten okay at some games and, you know, I know the lingo and I know generally how to report on games and I get really good at understanding a game but doesn't mean that I'm able to perform at the level of challenger like others are. So if I were to be excluded just based on my rank or my ability to play, <clears throat> there would be a lack of my, you know, skill set in the field. And that's not to say that there isn't someone that's better than me that is also a challenger tier player, but you know, th there's, you can't tell, you, you have no way of knowing that, you know, the likelihood of somebody coming in with my skill set and also being a you know pro gamer it's just a little less likely it's also because I'm a little bit older but I would never rule out in in my school someone who is interested and say they uh, have been streaming a ton of Minecraft and they they're really like just like uh, savvy at setting up Twitch streams and modding and doing Discord uh stuff I would take them in a heartbeat to do those things even if they don't know and uh, really get League of Legends, because I can get them to stream our matches without really 
you know, knowing how to uh, talk about the game because they don't need to do that. So all they're doing is, like you said, they might be working in a broadcast position and there are opportunities for that. And I think that, for example, we have a Discord mod who is really, you know, I'm kind of like describing her a little bit in a way. Um, she's jumped in and taken our Discord to another level that I wouldn't have been able to do myself or any of the other uh, team members. There's one person on the, on the Overwatch team that is helping her, but, you know, his time can't be dedicated to that. So, yeah, I need people who don't play games. I need people, you know, esports titles, I should say. I need people who have specialties outside of the strict... Uh, the mold i need them to like kind of take their skills and bring it to esports as opposed to having only esports experience even though it's great that you know the lingo and you can play it's not going to serve you in everything so i need a really good graphic designer i don't necessarily need you to play top tier fortnite or something you know i just need you to really know how to make something look good so there's going to be a ton of opportunities um, for that coming along the way. And I think that, for instance, like in our school, we're going to have a player lounge. And, you know, I need an administrative assistant to not only log the hours of the students that are coming to use it, but keep the place open, be responsible and kind of like help with social media stuff. So there's a lot of hybrid positions on campus that are going to open up. And I know that, that they exist in other forms, you know, like work study stuff at other schools, too. So it's going to be interesting. But. I think what's going to happen is you're going to take people with other skills, bring it to esports, and that's what's going to help grow it. And then you're going to have people who grow within esports and bring those skills out to other industries. So it's going to be, you know, twofold kind of exchange as as uh, our programs on colleges and professionally otherwise grow. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the, the two... I know it's a lot to chew on. It's it's really because it's like, how can you even talk about it without getting really long winded, right? No, it's it's perfect. It's it's exactly right. And I love the point that you made at the end there about how uh, you know people are going to either bring something new, a different perspective to esports, which helps progress it, or they're going to go into their professional life, whatever they end up doing with uh, you know bringing their esports experience. And yeah, both it's a win win for both parties. Absolutely. Yeah, there's esports can only really help at this point and it can only be helped by people who aren't in it. We we want good people in esports. So if you have a skill we need, bring it, you know, and don't worry that you haven't been following the, you know, LCS for the last couple of years. Don't worry about it. <laughs> just just be confident in what you can bring. Hmm. Speaking of skills that you can bring. This is a question. I I didn't even set this up, so it's perfect. Uh what what skills do you think uh, did you find valuable or useful in your experience, like as you've gone from position to position, or uh, and what in general do you think are some some like skills that people can focus on or maybe work towards improving if they want to work in esports? That's a good question. I mean, for me, I've often reevaluated what I actually can bring to esports, and in those moments of quiet despair, we all have our our moment of like, why am I doing this? Uh, why am I here? Uh, it's kind of like you sit there and you're like, okay, let me evaluate what I do bring. So I have done this several times over in my career. Um, and I knew when I started, I could bring my writing skills because yeah, my writing skills were, you know, pretty top tier in terms of like expressing. Um, and I could do it in a way that others weren't. And I could do it professionally and help people talk on a level where I had brought 
my like kind of administrative legal history, all these other things I had done before esports to to the table. So I knew that my strong point was my writing. So I kind of always hinged my career on being able to express myself in the written form. But then it started developing into being able to communicate the value of esports to others, especially the value of collegiate esports to others, where it was still in question for a good few years in the beginning. Uh, you know, I'd grab a beer with friends and they'd be like, what? What is collegiate esports? Isn't that just amateurs playing? Uh, no. You have, you know, people playing on an amateur tournament, so to speak, but it's more like, you know, I would go rant and do my whole spiel. And then I realized that's part of my skill level too. My skill set too is is explaining in, um, in, I guess, a plain speak to those who aren't in esports why esports is important, especially for people that are not younger, people that are like in their 40s and 50s were asking me questions, 60s. I had like, you know, people who were like, oh, my grandchild plays these kinds of games. Why is it good for them to like even bother doing this? Why shouldn't they just go play on the football team? So I just kind of like, this must've been like my teaching experience. I just know how to like speak to different audiences. So I don't mind teaching people about esports or the value of it. So that was my skill set that I, you know, kind of pontificated on. Um, and also it started to just become my, my ability to, you know, kind of adapt where it was necessary. Like I, I don't know when you get a new sponsor for an organization or you get a new technology pop-up that, you know, disrupts the scene like discord or something, you just have to learn. It. Yeah. You just have to get in it. And like, there's a lot of people that start kind of like getting messed up about that. They're like, Oh, I still want to use Skype or, you know, I don't really want to learn something new. Or there's a new game that comes out. I don't want to play it. I'm still playing, you know, StarCraft. I don't want to play anything else. No, that was never me. I just want to keep trying new stuff. And, you know, that's been one of my strengths. It's not necessarily a skill, but it's a strength that can be, you know, transformed into a skill. Flexibility and ability to learn quickly is a skill. So I guess those are my three things. Like writing, speaking, and, you know... uh, learning quickly and adapting because esports requires that especially if you work in as you i'm sure know and have experienced when you work in event settings things break you have to learn how to fix them creatively uh you know you have to work on the fly a lot those are big big skills in esports yeah the ability uh to be flexible and um i kind of put it like the beauty is in the pivot really it's not necessarily what you planned on doing because it's never going to end up exactly how you planned you should always expect things to go slightly different but you are confident enough in yourself and your team that you know you're ready to take on whatever challenges will certainly happen um, especially in esports i like that um what is something that you've learned kind of recently like in the in the last year or six months or tell me something What's something fresh, a fresh skill or a fresh learning for, for you? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I think, tw- well, 2019 was definitely for me a, you know, decision if I was going to stay in esports kind of year. So I had to rely upon networking and getting myself out there a little bit um, in order to find some gigs. So I just uh, learned how to talk about my skills better in 2019. I think that's uh, a skill everybody needs to do. So I'm very like behind the scenes. And I guess I don't know, um, people describe me as like, you know, pretty humble for what I've achieved. But I'm like, you know, it's just I don't really want to get in people's faces 
and say, this is what I do, you know, hey, hire me. Uh, but it's still a skill that you have to at least be willing to present it in a conversation with a potential, um, you know, connection. Um, so whether it meant just uh, fixing up my LinkedIn or uh, putting a profile up on Upwork or talking to people I know already about what they're doing and then kind of inserting what I'm doing along the way to see if there's any opportunities, that's a thing I learned in 2019 that is a, a really important skill. And that's not just for esports. I think it's for anybody, you know, working in, in an industry that has a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of players that you got to connect with in order to find jobs. Um, Cause you're not, I know that hit market does a great job the listing, you know, job listings and you find things, but it's a lot of times opportunities come through word of mouth in esports, and that's the way you get in. So, you know, I just learned a little bit more about how to find opportunities that way and talk about what I do. And, you know, I'm less, I'm, I'm less uh, bashful, I guess about it. I know what I've done and, you know, I can tell people what I do a little more confidently and sometimes it translates into, you know, new connections or, or work and it's great. Nice. Yeah. I, man. Yeah. Perfect. I don't have much to add to that. That's a, that's a great, it's hard though. You got to get over a little bit of like, if you're, especially if you're kind of like a little bit shy or a little bit unsure, you got to get over it. It kind of like, kind of is a hard thing. I feel you on that. I think I, I was hit with that a little bit uh, this year as well because I, I made a big move. I moved from you know the states to Germany, and um, I did that in April. And then I was looking for an apartment, like a long-term apartment, because I needed one to like a long-term lease in order to apply for my um, residence permit, uh, which you know my freelance uh, permit essentially. And mm -hmm. um, in the process of doing this. I um, bouncing around from place to place. I had like two weeks where I didn't have a place, but I had a friend in Switzerland who was willing to host me for like two weeks. And so I was in Switzerland applying for every job that I was even remotely interested in. And um, I definitely re learned a lot about myself and um, about my own skills and tried to, tried to improve a little bit in communicating uh, the value of those skills because I think that's not just a skill that you know you or I could could benefit from. Everyone can, especially when once you get towards the interview process, you need to be able to tell your strengths and weaknesses. You know that these are and those are just the very very basic um, questions that you're going to get at every single interview you go into. So you should have yeah. those down yeah. like the back of your hand, really, and then you build mm -hmm. on that, right? You you talk about your wins, you talk about maybe your losses, you talk about what you've learned from those losses, and being able to express that is so so important in um in giving someone a confidence that you're able to take on the job that they have in mind for you um just yeah seeing, and one, of, one of my professors actually said and i'm sorry to interrupt it's just like because i'm so you know i'm kind of like connecting to what you said um about knowing how to talk about your losses is because one of my counseling professors said that he won't hire someone for a role as a mental health counselor or some sort of, uh, you know, position that he has a capability to hire for if they just don't, if they don't know how to speak about something that's hard for them. So like you have to know what your limits or like your, what your worldview is in order to be a good counselor. Cause you have to know how to talk about where, you know, it's like an aspect of multiculturalism and other things that just know that you are in your, your certain space where you grew up, you're willing to learn about others. 
But if you're not able to talk about your what limits you, then you're not going to be a good counselor. You're never going to learn. So I think that's something you do take away and you should learn how to talk about it in an interview. I'm very passionate about that. I think that's a great point. How to talk about your losses is just as important about talking about your wins because like going into coaching, like we have to provide uh, instances where we lose in order to analyze and pull them apart. I think if more people look at it that way, from the learning perspective of like in terms of gamer speak is like, we're going to have coaching at four o'clock today and we provide a, a VOD where we lose terribly, but you know, we want to learn from that. And that's what we're presenting. We're not going to give them our best game, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Spot on. I think that's super, super important. Um, yeah. Okay. So what I have next for you, um, what is, there's a lot of different varied roles that are um, around in a little bit of a transition here. Uh, different roles that are around in esports. Um, are there any particular that you recommend people who aren't sure what they want to do or aren't sure where they fit in in the esports space, but they they know they want to work in gaming? They're really passionate, but they're just like, where do I fit in in this? Is there anything that you can recommend as far as like recommended roles or how do how do you get involved uh, from a from an outsider perspective, outsider gamer perspective, I guess. So what are the best roles for somebody coming in completely like green to esports? Yeah, someone, someone exposes them maybe to certain different opportunities that they might have uh, to kind of inspire them or give them ideas, better idea of what they, what they want to do. Yeah, um, I think there are opportunities out there to help with... Um, just generally doing running at events like if there's something in your region that's esports related that you want to learn about how an event is set up just sign up to be a volunteer in general i know that there's um there's opportunities for that so you might just be on call like hey can you run this down to the player or you know this that and the other i'm not sure how many people do it these days but you know for example i just recently went to magfest and that's like a music and and gaming festival so there's like esports aspects to it but you're not necessarily all doing esports stuff like that will get you at least exposed to what event management is like and just running around and you can say that you're interested in helping with their esports component and see if you get you know placed there as a volunteer so there's always that that gets you exposure um there there's tons of other kind of like housekeeping sort of intro roles that you can do even online it, you can learn how to like moderate a stream chat and become a mod um for an org or a player that's a really great place to start uh you know you need to kind of like learn the the ways to help them uh, efficiently manage their stream you can do that on discord as well I, discord is actually kind of complicated if you get really into the roles into the setup of rooms and stuff like that and you know, you can be an invaluable part of someone's community that way. That's a good way to just meet people. Um, and like just rattling off, there's a lot of like uh, people who need help with social media at like a very low level. Like, hey, can you at least, you know, tweet this every so often, help us out with this, uh, just help us set up our, our, our uh, channels. You know, there are small opportunities like that still around. It's just getting harder and harder to do some of the things that we used to do to get involved in esports. So you're going to have to put your ear to the ground and you might be like more, 
more lucky if you're a college student and have the esports program on campus to get the opportunities that way. So I would encourage you if you are a student um, or at a college with something esports related, just to get in touch with the organizer there and see what happens. And be, you know, be persistent because if you're trying to get in touch with me, for instance, I'm I get hundreds of emails like in a couple of days. So it might, you know, not, you might not be able to get me immediately, but just be persistent. And that's probably going to also apply for other jobs out there. Just keep, you know, following up, learn the skill of follow-up. Um, and, but other specific roles that you can get involved with, it's a good question. I mean, there's, if you have a particular skill, again, don't be shy to flaunt it. If you can create banners uh, and are good at visuals, create them, create a little small por- portfolio and show people and start being like, Hey, you need help with this. I need help. Um, you know, I need to uh, work, but you know, I'm willing to help out to start. And then you do that and go from there. I think it would be like more like determining what you can do and then kind of like shopping it out that way. But, you know, I think it's a good way to just kind of like start with uh, events, looking just to volunteer and just being one of those people that like takes tickets at the door or, or something like that. You know, there's a lot of smash competitions happening that are regional. Maybe see if you can hit one of those up and see what's going on there. If you can help out at all, they're, they're really cool people. You know, a lot of them are very welcoming. So uh, despite what some people might say, I-, I love smash. So go find some smash people to help out, see what they're doing, what they're connected to. Um, you have to be creative though. It's not like there's a, you know, set repository for these intro jobs, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's not, uh, I think it's, it's super important to just, uh, yeah, just go out there and try to gain some experience. I think, um, you and I both experienced it as far as like just being, being willing to, to use the skills that you do have and get started in whatever sense possible. I think before I wrote anything for CSL and before we came to know each other, I wrote, like, I was on, like, Upwork or whatever Upwork's uh, old version was. Um, And I got paid maybe $5 or something like that to write an Ash Guide for League of Legends. (laughs) And and I kind of just used that as my my resume builder. And I was like, hey, look, I can write. Teresa, hire me. Uh, And, (laughs) you know, it's a a volunteer role. And I was like, okay, look, I, I can write. I can put some sentences together. And it's enough to, like get my foot in the door and get started while also building my own confidence and building skills and also building a network, I think. And um, yeah. I think that's also very important is um, push, continuing to, to evolve as a, as a professional uh, in whatever um, aspect that is. Um, for me, it was developing my writing and something I'm really passionate about now is like storytelling and the ability to just, um, I think that's the, the most important uh, Maybe one of the most important human uh, traits is being able to tell stories in a in a way which, kind of, you can see that other people engage with or that really they are receptive to. I think that's one of the strongest um, forms of connection. And um, as far as networking goes, do you have any tips for people? Uh, I like to use, man. I I think I really just use Twitter for memes and networking, uh, <laughs> and. It's like, it's like the two pretty much like I just, and cats, of course, cats, cute cats, cute dogs, um, all that yes. stuff. Yes. I mean, like I just to say, I really like the, uh, the emphasis on storytelling because you're not just storytelling in, as a writer in esports, you're storytelling about yourself, selling yourself to someone else for a job. Right. So make sure you know how to tell your career story. Well, that's a big tip. Um, but yeah, like the best way to network 
in esports yeah i mean like kind of like whether like you like it or not you have to have a twitter so get get on twitter get connected listen to where people are you know connecting uh follow them you know just see what's going on <clears throat> but yeah get on linkedin uh, make sure you have a nice professional profile um and if you are in the creative field r regardless of whether or not you're doing something creative like writing or graphics or otherwise uh you know video content make a portfolio of some sort and host it on a, a website that you're comfortable with maintaining um and if you're not comfortable with maintaining it at least create a business calling card that links the kind of website that links to other resources to find your work um whether it's on your youtube or your instagram or your twitter just like make sure you have that so then when you're ready to talk to people about what you do you have your digital calling card you can say like hey link with me on twitter and you know from there you can find a, a link to my portfolio or i'll dm you with it or let me connect with you over email all of my contact info is there what's your email you know stuff like that so when you're at an event just make sure you know how to insert your contact information in an easy way so some people still do business cards and that's good i mean i still like them um but make sure you know how to give your digital business card out like and, and make it like your Twitter handle at minimum. Be like, yo, let's follow each other. Sometimes, you know, people like Instagram, at least have some some of these channels up. It's like unavoidable. It's, this this industry is so connected over these like wide nets that you just have to have at least like a, your bookmark on each. So whatever's easiest for them, keep in touch with them that way. Discord may be your way. You know, be like, a lot of people just say, here's my Discord, you know, send me something. So that's networking at a very ground level. Um, following up is the next most important skill, which is not let's just change exchange handles. It's also let's, you know, let's plan something. Let's 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 have a talk. Let's uh, exchange things we know. Like one of the one of the good things I saw one of my Overwatch players do this week was they finished a scrim, and he actually talked with the coach of the other team afterwards immediately to exchange information and just go over what. The other coach, even though my team won, he wanted to know from the other coach what he saw that we could do better. And I thought that was a really great, great way of like being open and honest about having a networked connection and, and you know, firming it up is be, be honest with the reason why you'd like to keep in touch with this person. And I think those are top skills. Just have your digital bookmark, follow up and be honest with the person that you want to follow up with. That's like pretty good first three steps of networking. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite solid. I love that. I love that about your coach that, uh, you know, they, they're immediately going to the other coach and, and having that conversation and saying, hey, look, what did you think? Um, I'd love to just get your mind, get your thoughts about it. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a, you know, he's like the coordinator of the team. And, you know, he's not shy to ask for what he wants. And some people think he's a little too loud, but I actually think, you know, hey, that's going to serve him well down the road. You know, he's he's actively advocating for himself. And for his team, yeah, super important. Sounds like sounds like a, a great person to have in that position. I think, especially in such a foundational year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very lucky. <clears throat> okay, can you tell me? Uh, so you've landed someone who's landed the the interview, uh, right? And they've gone through the interview process. We talked a little bit about some important uh, interview skills. You know, like being able to tell your story and also talk about your wins and your losses. Um, so, and then I get a job offer. I've landed the job. 
um, land, you know, I'm work, going to work in esports, whatever the role might be. Uh, what's next? Like, how do you uh, just, you know, you got as a professional, you don't want to kind of get too stale or just get too comfortable. You want, you want to constantly be, um, you know, working hard, communicating. How do you succeed in a role once you get it? How do we succeed in the thing we want to succeed in? <laughs> That's like so meta. I love it. Um, <laughs> you have to like not have sold yourself to, first of all, I hope you sold yourself and told your story accurately. Because I've seen people get into roles in esports and then lose them because they lied about what they could do. Because that means you're not going to succeed in what you do initially because you're overselling yourself by, you know, just saying, hey, I can do this, that, and the other, but you're actually really poor at all three things that you listed. Um, you just want to sound better than you are. Be honest, again, about what you can and can't do. Like, my strength is writing. I'm not going to say I'm the greatest video editor. Yeah, sure, I can video edit. It doesn't mean it's my strong point, so I'm not going to sell it that way. I'll just put it as a sub substitute skill at the bottom somehow. Like, can video edit on Premiere? Would prefer not to, but, you know, something. Like that. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, just be honest about what you can do. That's how you're going to succeed. You know, you have to set yourself up for success from the beginning. So when you're going to these people and looking for volunteer or paid position, don't lie. Uh, do a good job at selling yourself. And you're doing that for yourself. So that's a good way to start. The second best thing you can do then is just be listening at all times, open ears, not just for what you do, but what for others, what others do, like do that first mental map of where you work and make those connections and make notes, have a notebook by you, uh, write it down. Like this person does this and it's usually at this time. And, you know, I need to know to contact this person to do this. Like I work at a college and I have like so many things I have to know just to be able to like get the temperature changed in the room when it's too hot. Like these are small things that can trip you up and like make you not succeed at your basic duties. So make sure that you have in the first few days of your job, a familiarity with your, your organization, get to know people, then do your job, do your actual job, do what you're supposed to do. Then start becoming more friendly with others, like build rapport, um, build a community because those people in your organization that then see that you're doing your good job and understand the organization are going to be more comfortable with talking to you about the other opportunities, either if within the organization or, or externally. So that's how you succeed. And obviously, I'm not going to even tell you what you need to do in your role, because I'm pretty sure that if you're a streamer, you know, you have to get better at streaming technology. So make sure you're always up, up to date on what's changing. Um, but you know, these soft skills are actually really, really, really important. And, you know, I think I think it's it deserves to be said that you should get to know the people you work with and be friendly and open with like learning what they do and not just stay in your hole and like getting to know just what you do. Um, get to know what everybody else is doing. You know, don't be a busybody, but just be curious and and be open to learning what they do because that's going to help you down the line. It's going to help you succeed in business but, and also in your position because you'll know what other resources you can lean on. So now I know that I have a, um, there's a broadcasting, uh, a traditional broadcast recording studio on campus at my school that I can lean on if I need something or ask some people to help set up audio for our events that we're looking to try to do. So I just need to know who these people are at my school and you'll need to know who these people are at your org that you start working at. 
So I don't, does that make sense? I feel like makes a lot of sense. there's like a little map of what you need to do to succeed to start. Definitely. I think, I think one of the most important parts of what you said was the, the whole idea of, you know, lean, lean on other people. Like you, you are expected to be able to do your role, but you're also expected to, um, when, when there are times where you can't, maybe not can't do it, but you're not familiar with the work you need to do, you should seek out, you should take that initiative to seek out the people who do and gain insight from them in order to get your job done. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've talked a lot about like the positives of esports. There are some, I guess, ne there has been negatives. There's some, you know, there's organizations that don't pay players. There's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people working insane hours, whatever it is. Um, this is not so much about that, but tell me about a personal sacrifice, if any, um, that you've made um, in your, I guess, career, uh, esports career. Like, have you ever sacrificed something, whether it was your time or, uh, well, certainly time, uh, but uh, anything to, to kind of pursue work in esports? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I could say there's a lot of personal things I've had to sacrifice. Um, so when you decide to get into esports, you decide to take a path that's a little traditional. Um, so that's fine. Uh, you might have to spend some time explaining that to others. So you're doing something that you may not be able to tell others that you do like, I'm a doctor or I'm a teacher. Uh, I work in esports doesn't always come off as as the most elegant thing at first, um, unless you have really like forward thinking friends and family that are super excited about this. You know, if you come from a traditional like immigrant family or like second generation like my aunt, my own, they're like at first they're like, what are you doing? I don't understand it. Why are you not doing something else? You know, while my father's super into it and he loves it, that's because he plays games too. Um, you know, there's other people in my family that have no idea, don't care. And then they kind of look at you like you're doing something odd, especially as a woman too. It's kind of like, like a kind of social, not sacrifice. It's kind of like a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice in the sense that you need to spend some extra time explaining to people why you're doing what you do to validate yourself. Um, it can be a little exhausting sometimes. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of time that I put into esports sports is also, you know, affected the time I can put into relationships and other things too. Um, granted, you know, I've learned to balance that now after almost a decade in it and I'm fine, but you have to really know how to navigate your social life while diving into esports. Um, there can be some sacrifices there. You don't know how to, I, I would say. Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, for me, one of the biggest like sacrifices was, was time. Uh, and specifically with the work I did, uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, I worked for that esports startup and it was just from, from the get go, from the moment I was hired, I was working 80 plus hours a week. And while some of that was more lax, like more relaxed and it was a chill environment, I got to work in gaming, got to work in esports, got to work with pro players, like on day one, literally day one, I was helping to interview Alex Itch and it was just like, I was like over the moon and then like breaks, we would play smash and stuff. So there's like a, um, but there's also, there was a lot to be done. There was a lot of work to be done. And, um, and so while I was super, super excited and very happy to have found this position, it also was taxing in 
the I didn't really have a life for the first six months other than just going into the office, just working nonstop and um, and then driving the hour and a half back down to uh, to San Pedro near Long Beach, you know, to to my the boat that I lived on for a couple months. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and uh, and it was just like times. yeah, it was like it's like an hour and a half in traffic on the way there, and then maybe like forty minutes to an hour on the way back, depending on traffic, and uh, and then just yeah, day full of work, but. But it, it uh, definitely, that would, that would have been my biggest sacrifices. But I w if I hadn't have gone through that, if I hadn't have, if I wouldn't have gone through that rather, I would n not have as good a perspective on being able to um, set these boundaries and, and ensure, kind of like you said, that I, I balance my time well. And I'm also very clear with the people I work with um, about what, you know, what's acceptable what is not acceptable as far as work hours. I'm very, very lucky now. I work for an incredible agency um, and the people that are at the very top, the you know founders of the company, um, Angela and Lax, they, they just are, they're so, they've structured the organization in a very flat way, but they are like, they'll be like your brother and sister essentially. They, they care for you, they really do. And they ensure like from the get go that everything, um, everything that they do and every like, you know, rule. And I say rule like loosely, like there's not like someone looking over my shoulder at any point. Um, they trust you fully to do your work, but they also don't expect you to, to be working, you know, like overtime for nothing. Like if you're working overtime, um, it's because, you know, we need to restructure, you know, the, the overall plan and strategy, um, because, you know, we can better, we can help you better manage your time and they're so willing to help you do that and so willing to have that conversation whereas like in work i've worked uh in positions i've been in previously not with csl and uh yeah and not with you definitely not <laughs> i mean it's pretty pretty simple our, our working relationship was, has always been very that, that was that was a, the good times right? very, yeah it's, it's very very simple um and very yeah very easy to going but um yeah, it wasn't always the case, uh, and so it's it's yeah. nice to have have that. I think that's great. I'm I'm really encouraged to hear that. You know, you have such a healthy working environment, and what you're doing is is feeling rewarding because that's important. You know, you it sounds like they value you, so they they're willing to work with you know you and making your professional life balanced. That's a that's a great start. You know, that doesn't always like we've been talking about it doesn't exist in esports a lot. Definitely. A lot of time it's, it's like, uh, what can you give me? And then there's never a, Hey, look, this is what we're going to provide you back in return. It's, it's very exactly. self-serving in a lot of ways. I, I still do some, some, uh, you know, quote unquote volunteer work from, uh, time to time. Um, not because I don't think I should be paid for my work, but because I kind of want a foot in the door at, you know, this place or that place. And I'm kind of, yeah. I'm tapering off of doing that because I'm at this point where, um, if I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, on gigs, then I want them to be worth my time. Because um, yeah. I, I, I do have this steady gig and you know it is part-time, but it, it also, it is my main effort, kind of like what you talked about. It's my main, uh, you know, like other things are built around this. So this is very important that I keep this very live. And so the additional things that I do um, need to be well-structured, but also very clear that it's worth my time. And I found even with very well-established organizations, um, without naming any names, uh, there's still a lot of need or requests for like, 
almost like favors. Like recent, kind of recently when I was offered, asked to do um, something quite strenuous labor-wise, like um, they, I was like, okay, well, they didn't even make me an offer like as to what they were willing to provide. They were just like, well, how much would you want to do this? Haha, don't make it too high kind of thing. Like as a joke. Mm -hmm. And this is like a Discord message. So it's like extremely <laughs> informal, right? Uh, and yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, oh, they're not going to be happy with any number I give them. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so I just had to make sure that I, I gave a number where it's like, because I didn't necessarily even love the work. It, it's literally just manual labor in, in some sense. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, so since I don't love it, I'm gonna price it a little bit higher, but also it's gonna be worth my time. Um, and yeah, haven't heard back yet, but I don't necessarily expect to, to be honest, but it doesn't hurt me because I know that if I, they did, were to come back and say, hey, we would like you to do that and we are willing to pay or let's negotiate something that's more on our uh, idea of what it's worth, then I, I'm willing to negotiate, you know? But I think it's- uh, Yeah, and I think that the art of selling your time is actually something that you only develop at more you do it right so i don't know how to negotiate what my hourly rate is or my per word rate is until i do it so you kind of set some quotes out there like i put a quote out there and i didn't hear back you know i think it was on upwork they had reached out to me and i gave them my quote i said I, I have this many years experience and if you want me to write at this volume you're gonna have to like pay me a pretty okay amount and they never got back to me but i was okay with that because it's not like you know, gonna break me either way, you know, I, it was a nice opportunity, but not necessarily something that was fit. And now I know that people like them are not willing to put the money out, they just want to get someone to do volume, not quality, you know, so you just learn along the way you see you get to learn what your rate is and what you're willing to spend your time on. Yeah, and I, I'd say as well, I'd add to that, um, that me personally, it's taken a long time, like even, even years after, you know, having done some freelance work here and there, um, it still is slightly uncomfortable like when we get to that discussion point. I think it just takes more experience because, you know, you don't work, uh, you don't get like a ton of job offers in your life overall. So when you're getting to yeah. those situations, the art of negotiating is, uh, it's new to everybody. So yeah. in, in that sense. Yeah, and I, I, I have a friend who works in video and often we discuss these, these pricing schemes and like how it's difficult to sell yourself. Um and it can be nerve wracking every time. It doesn't matter when or where it is. And it's just, you have to learn to become confident, more confident outwardly about it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, less of a struggle for you inwardly, but it's just over time, it, it refines. A freelancer refines their rate based on the person who's offering and the amount of work it'll take to complete. You only get to know your rate more with exposure to different types of projects. So. Definitely. I'd say in something that's really helped me within the last um, the last year or so, like six months probably, I read a, a book. Well, I listened to the audible version of it, um, Never Split the Difference. It's a book by Chris Voss, and it's about uh, negotiating your life, essentially, as it's the sub quote as negotiating as if your life depended on it. And it's a lot about yeah. how humans... Uh, receive uh, negotiation tactics or how we receive the information in a negotiation and um, body language and whatnot. And the guy was like an FBI negotiator. Uh, he's worked mm -hmm. at like the highest level. He's helped uh, ne negotiate against terrorists in, uh, in the Philippines or wherever. And so like in hostage situations um, where he was in constant contact with them, um, trying to, you know, initiate their release. 
Um, so it's, it's really interesting perspectives and some perspective I was able to gain from that and um, help me in the way I communicate. So not, it's not just a negotiation skill. This is a communication skill as well. Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, yeah, just super, super interesting read. I recommend that. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Pass that along to me. I'd love to. I will. I will. See where you got that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay. Is there someone you look up to in the esports industry? Or mm, several people. Question. Uh, there are a lot of really great people that work in esports, and a lot of people that you know I think are valuable to look toward. Um, you know, it's hard for me to say. I've, I I want to think about somebody I've actually worked with. Um, so I'm trying to think. Like I, I definitely look up to Duran Parsi, who what we worked with at CSL back in the day, because he's grinded at this since he was young. You know, and this is like his the love of his life. So it's always good to see that you know, and, and take that with you. And he's always been fair as, a, as an employer and been very up, you know, f been forward about, you know, telling you where the pain points are and what is needed. And that's important. Sometimes just being radically honest about the uh, struggles in an organization that's developing in an industry that's also developing at the same time is, you know, important skill. So I try to take that with me where I go and I work now. And when I explain to, you know, the players that, Hey, you know, listen, I'm doing the best that I can with the means I got, but I'm going to explain to you what's actually happening. So you don't feel left out is really an important skill. Um, sometimes just help management skills you know, like that are important. So I guess that's someone I, I would consider uh, looking up to for their skills. Um, and there's plenty of others I really respect as well but you know i don't want to make them feel left out so <laughs> i'm gonna just say everybody on my twitter uh that i follow i respect all of you that is a wonderfully inclusive message i like it and if i don't follow you then you know i don't know you so probably like give me a reason to, to like you it's very easy to get me to like you so just reach out <laughs> share share a good metal meme and you're good exactly that's that's it just we anytime i hear anything remotely metal in esports whether it's like a, you know when i was listening to league of legends and i heard metal i was like oh my gosh this is so great um when they were working with some of the metal musicians that they work with uh to mm -hmm. create the uh the pentakill stuff oh man i was just like over the moon it was a great great time yeah what and, I... And, and when i would watch like uh korean starcraft streams and they put metal in the background i would get so excited so any any connections like that yes i'll, I'll gladly take <laughs> that's it so if you're looking to network with Teresa, that's the way to to do it you hit her with that uh with that metal and yep. she will hit you back with a follow probably at Teresa gaffney on twitter <laughs> that's it okay um and i don't really have a whole lot else uh for you except uh, succinctly, uh, it doesn't have to be too succinct, however succinct you would like to be, how does somebody land a job in esports and contribute to the industry? Okay, like this is a good summary for our entire conversation. Okay, so first, to get a job in esports, know what you have to offer and learn how to speak about yourself. So first of all, determine your strengths, develop your story, and take that out into the field somehow whether that is directly into paying positions that you think you can get fine if it means that you need more 
uh, time to cut your teeth in your skill and in esports, then take that into volunteering somewhere. So that's the simple summary of how to get into esports. The more complex addition to that is to learn how to network and open up opportunities for yourself without underselling yourself and your time. So basically cast a wide net, but then know that you should filter out what comes in because not everything that comes in is going to be worth your time. Um, even for, you know, freelance free work, you just, so you have to know your worth in order to say that. So if you have some self-confidence and some self-esteem and know that I'm a pretty good discord mod, I'm not going to take just any discord channel to mod because I know I can handle ones that are over a hundred members. And, you know, I'm not going to take this baby one that I don't know what is going to go anywhere and waste my time. So, and I'm not to say that anything is not worth it because it is, but just know what is worth your time. So basically know your skills, know your story, sell it out there. But in between know that you need to also practice discretion and filtering and taking good opportunities because you can waste six months of your life on a bad project and not and be pretty much where you started six months earlier. Valid. Get out there. Yeah. Get out there, people. Get out there on Twitter, you know, LinkedIn, Upwork. Just watch streams, see names dropped. Go find them. Go look them up. See what they're doing, Who? what teams they're, they're associated with. Do they need help? There's always, like, there's always people looking for help. Like, there's no no like absence of people needing help in esports just determine what you can do and then you can find that work for yourself well i think that is the perfect summary and uh what a great way to end the podcast um teresa where can people find you uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Teresa Gaffney, and then you can send me your metal memes there. Or you can find me on Instagram at Terry Gaff. That's with two, three F's because someone else had the two F's. So T E R R I G A F F F. And you can just hit me, um, like, I guess on Discord. Just find me, TM Gaffney. Uh, what is my number? I don't even know. Just just ask Spencer for it. He'll give it to you. That's it. I'll, I'll post these. I'll post these up on. Oh, twenty four eighty one. Tm Gaffney hashtag twenty four eighty one. There you go. I always have to double triple check mine as well. So I feel you. <laughs> I don't feel so bad. No. Um, okay. Cool. Is there anybody you want to shout out to? Uh yeah. Shout out to Messiah College. Thanks for bringing me on board. The last. 10 weeks have been great. I can't wait to work with you guys into the future. Shout out to my homies back at HU. You were a great team to work with, and I'm so excited to see you build yourselves up and take it to the next level. And shout out to CSL. Uh, was a great place to work with so many years, and I can't wait to see you guys go this year. Go hard. Go hard in the paint, guys. Collegiate Esports. Huzzah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Teresa. I've appreciated it. All right, Spencer, it's good catching up with you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening in to the What the Meta podcast, where we talk about esports, how to work in esports, and we talk to some people who have actually done it. They've found a job, they're working in esports, and they're, they want to help you. They want to talk about their story, and we go through a few things which can maybe help you learn about the opportunities that exist within esports, um, where to get started. 
um, work experiences, knowing your value, maybe interview process advice. If you want to be an esports athlete, what does that entail? We talk about some of these things. Great podcast with Teresa, and thank you so much again for listening in. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side with the next episode. Thanks.